0: I'm lying on the back just watching the whole castle slowly but surely disintegrate. And that's when I I actually said to myself, and I remember it, I am going to die now. um, And I wonder if it's going to hurt.
1: From Aura Studios, this is The Line of Fire with me, Ramita Navai. I've been working in conflict zones around the world for nearly two decades. And in this series, I talk to fellow journalists about covering war and the life-changing moments of confronting death. Welcome to The Line of Fire. My guest today is Sky News' Chief Correspondent Stuart Ramsey. Over the past 30 years, he's covered 18 wars and won a lot of awards, including two Emmys. Stuart is Sky's longest-serving foreign correspondent. He recently got back from covering the war in Ukraine, where his team came under attack and he was shot and wounded. Stuart, welcome. Stuart, I usually start off by asking each of my guests how they got into reporting conflicts but actually you're my first guest who I'm speaking to fresh from covering a conflict so if it's okay with you I want to dive straight into Ukraine. Mm -hmm. How was it covering Ukraine and how is it different from the other conflicts you've covered?
0: One of the, well, the essential one immediate and essential difference between the two is that you've actually got two armies fighting each other. Um, I think it they it, it's peer fighting. I think it's mm-hmm. cool and basically, although they're not they're near peers. I mean, Russia is probably a bigger army. You two have two. Uh, Full scale armies, a lot of the wars that we've been covering in recent years have actually been a big army against a terrorist organization or a less well organized, smaller army. So that that makes an immediate uh, difference between the two. Um, I'd been covering Ukraine from 2014-2015, I've been back a few times uh, since and actually in this particular trip, um, when eventually we had to leave because we, we were attacked, we had actually been there for two months, we'd had a few days off in between but we'd arrived in January. We wow. started in December, arrived in January and we'd, been, we'd done sort of eight, nine weeks by then. Um, and so we were waiting uh, for the war to start. And it, in many ways, we'd been in the east for most of that period of time, um, which has been this sort of frozen conflict with a continuous firing, but not that many deaths and not much movement along the sort of demarcation line between the separatists or the Russian-backed separatists and, um, and the Ukrainian government forces and militias. So that we'd, we'd got used to being in, if you like, in the war zone, before we had moved actually to Kiev on the assumption that actually it'll all probably end quite quickly. And that was the sort of basic thinking, that was the planning. So to be near the capital for for if the the invasion began, which of course it did.
1: Russia's President Vladimir Putin has long seen Ukraine, a democracy with a free press, as an existential threat. When protests drove out Ukraine's Moscow-friendly president in 2014, Putin acted. He annexed Ukraine's strategically important Crimean Peninsula and a few weeks later supported two separatist insurgencies in the east. As Ukraine grew closer to Europe and to NATO, tensions escalated, with Putin invading the country on February 24, 2022, declaring he was fighting against Nazis and genocide. Moscow even alleged that Ukraine was building a plutonium bomb, all unfounded claims. In reality, Putin unleashed Europe's biggest war since World War II, leaving tens of thousands dead and more than 11 million people displaced so far. And spending that amount of time in a war zone, near the front line, uh, did you let your guard down? I mean, were you living in constant fear? Or did you become used to it? What happens?
0: No, I I think... Um, I don't ever let my guard down when I'm I'm there. Um, I'm actually known, I think, to be relatively risk-averse, which is paradoxically one of the reasons why... What happened to us, and I 'm sure we'll talk about it was, has affected so many people in, in our newsroom and people who know me because I, they know I don't take risks, but I was always when we were there, very mindful of, of how dangerous wars can be. I've done a lot of them, and I still intend to continue covering them and one of the reasons that I'm still here after all these years, is that um, we do you know you take it all very, very seriously, and you concentrate every single time you go, I go out in the car. Um, If you let your guard down, if you have music on in cars, you won't believe how many people drive into war zones with with music on. They can't hear anything that's going on. It's crazy. So those type of things you look out for. So, no, I hadn't let my guard down at all.
1: And you, you were speaking about the difference between covering Ukraine and the other wars you've covered, which is a really interesting point, actually, that it's two peer armies. How does that affect the way that you work on the ground?
0: It's more difficult in some ways because, you know, armies are regimented and, and, and you can't, as a rule, wander around. Whereas in other conflicts, actually, you can move around quite easily. Um, certainly in the Middle East, it's slightly changed because you knew that as Westerners generally, as, as, as journalists Certainly, you were actual target in your own right, particularly for, for, for groups like Islamic State. So, you know, that became very dangerous. But covering wars in Africa or covering wars in other parts of the Middle East, you can actually move around quite easily. When you've got 2 big armies, you've actually got to go with them. Now, One of the ways around that is, particularly on the Ukrainian side, is they have an awful lot of militia who are fairly relaxed about checkpoints and coming and goings. But as soon as you're involved with the official Ukrainian army, particularly, for example, in Miriapol, I was with the, um, the Marines. They were really, really strict. I mean, they were as strict as any as any British or American army that I've been with. You know, you could where you can go and where you can't go and procedures and names on lists and. PR people with you and all the rest of it, so um, that that it makes it more complex like that. And of course, it makes it much more dangerous because the weapons being used are massive. You know, we're not just talking about small arms a lot of the time. You know, we're talking ballistic missiles and Mm -hmm. um, mortars and all sorts. So it's it's a higher level of danger, not necessarily on immediate attacking on personal. Level, but but the, the the effects of huge bombs is is the shrapnel and the and the stuff that can go with it, and that makes it very dangerous indeed.
1: How dangerous is it? Was it and is it compared to the more re- more recent wars you've covered? Let's say Syria, Iraq.
0: I would say. Well, in Syria, uh, well, in Mosul, actually, I mean, I was actually properly blown up by an an IED that was driven in a truck that was a cement mixer. I mean, how how I'm alive from that, I don't really know. I mean, I mean, sixty seventy people died in that incident, but so that was that's uh, big. It was interesting. It is actually thinking about it, you know, because you'd go into Mosul, which is an incredibly dangerous place. But you'd have a sense of where you were. You know, you had a sense of the movement of people and you could have a... You know, you would hear a lot of firing, but you couldn't see it because you're in in built-up area. And I suppose... This was similar, except that the danger seemed to be from the scale of the weapons being used. And I think, you know, you've got tanks fighting each other, et cetera, or, or um, tanks going into towns with, with um, sort of Ukrainian military using, you know, British and American supplied anti tank uh, weapon systems. Um, you weren't actually getting that near to that. But the, sort of away from it, the levels of danger were very high in a variety of reasons, not least checkpoints that were quite. Uh, jumping in their own right, um, a number of the Sky News teams, in fact a number of teams from all sorts of news organisations, uh, had terrible times at checkpoints where guns were fired, they, they were taken out of cars and, and beaten up. Not least because the, the Russians had put in advanced groups of what they called, the Ukrainians called saboteurs, and they, they had been driving around saying that they were media. And so every checkpoint became very dangerous, very dangerous. And that didn't get any better as the likelihood of the war got nearer and then when it had actually started. In fact, it became very, very dangerous indeed.
1: So can I take you back to the day you got attacked? Can you tell me where you were and what story you were doing and what happened that day?
0: We'd been driving, we decided to go to a town called Butcher. Now, Mm -hmm. nobody had heard of Butcher at that time. It's now become synonymous with with violence and and death. But at that stage, it was just a town which the Russians had attacked. It's quite near Kiev, or Kiev, I should say, and um, probably about a 40, 45-minute drive max, but uh, that's, you know, even if if you're going very slowly. Um, We had heard that um, a Russian convoy had entered and been attacked, Um, And we had good contacts in the town who said it was was quiet. All the Russians had gone and you could come and see their column and what had happened to it. One of the reasons we wanted to do that was because we'd been hearing, you know, the war had started. We'd been hearing explosions. We'd been locked down in Kiev for 36 hours. that they'd introduced this um, uh, curfew for for, 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 the, for basically two days effectively. And we wanted to get out and we wanted to see what was going on because we were reporting about this war, but we weren't actually seeing anything of it. So we tried to get to, to Butcher. It took hours and hours and hours through checkpoints, some very jumpy. And um, we were approaching and the whole battle space massively changed. We could see a helicopter gunships in the air and um, it, the checkpoints got, were more jumpy and then they said that um, Butcher is fighting again. And it was quite clear to all of us, but to me particularly, that it was getting too late, too dangerous and we weren't going to achieve anything. And actually, you know, one of the difficult things for journalists when is that you actually sometimes have to say, we're not going to get this story today and we're going to have to leave. And... Um, you know, I've been there long enough to know, to know that I can ring and say, I'm sorry, but I didn't get anything today. So we,
1: Which is a huge pressure.
0: It's a lot of pressure yeah. on people, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm senior enough to be, able to be able to cope with that. I mean, you, I'm sure we'd have put something together because we're filming all the time. But yeah. It's just not the story we wanted to do. So we turned around. But... Um, I say I tur- we turned round. We turned round metaphorically because we decided to head back to Kiev. But by now, all the roads that we'd come in on were now battle space themselves. So we had to find a new way out, and it was becoming more and more difficult. Ended up a checkpoint who um, stopped. Bizarrely, gave us some ice cream, um, which a member of the public had given to the police. And I asked them which direction is best and how which road should we go down. And we talked it through. And he, he, we, the message from them was go down the road that we were on. Um, that is the it's the M06 is what it's called. It's it it also linked to another road called E40. Now these these now are famous roads because of the numbers of people who've been killed on them. Um, wow. But at that stage which we think was the very early stages of the Russians moving in and taking over that area, which was the western entry into Kiev and that would be the way they were going to bring their tanks in. You remember there was that huge column of tanks, etc. That was where they were going. It all sort of fell apart, but but at this Mm. stage that was still the plan.
1: I remember those incredible satellite images. I mean, it was... I can't remember how many kilometres long, but it was huge, wasn't it? Miles
0: and miles and miles of stuff. Um, And so... And so uh, you
1: knew that column was on its
0: way yeah, but it's still, it by this stage, stuck, but it's, it, but it's above Butcher somewhere. right? It's funny with these things, isn't it? Because y- you get more information after the event. Yeah. But at the moment, at this stage, we're in day three of the war. Yeah. We know that there's a lot of fighting taking place, but we haven't seen it. We don't know what's happening in the east of the country. We don't know what's happening in the south of the country. We're not really certain what's happening outside of Cuba. Mm. And are we going to be able to report on it? Um, and so with this information of going down this road, we headed off in that direction, back towards um, the capital, back to our our hotel. Mm. Um, we didn't get there.
1: <laughs> what happened?
0: We pulled up. Um, well, there was as we were driving along the road. We could
1: how, s- sorry. How many of you in the car? Okay, now? so
0: there's, there's there's five of us in the car. And is it an armoured car? No, no, no. It's um, it's a white family saloon. God. And we didn't have any TV markings on it because the Ukrainian government and an army had told us to not have them. Because um,
1: then you'd be a target.
0: But the target being that uh, these. Russian saboteurs had said that they were TV and had TV on their cars. Oh,
1: wow. Okay, just to, just yeah. to yeah,
0: so, put, throw that so in the, the mix. So the Ukrainians said, Liz, the best thing you can do is just approach the checkpoints quietly, p- How you know? show that you're not carrying anything, and we'll look at your press accreditation then. Don't have TV because actually we'll just shoot. Yes. So that's we had. We'd made that decision. So we had nothing. Other conflicts. I often mark press etc., but not 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 here. We drove, um, and I could see it was very quiet. And um, I must admit, I'll be honest. And we've ta- all, all talked about it as a team. Um, I was. I had great misgivings driving down the road. I, I said to the guys, I just don't think this is right. And we all discussed it. But actually, at that point, I think when I first. Said that we went back to the pl- to the. Police. So you
1: aired that you said I'm not I don't have a good feeling here.
0: Oh yes, yeah.
1: And what was that feeling? Have you no. had it before? Is yeah,
0: it- yeah. I mean, I've I, I've had it before. Mm. It's interesting. Um, you can't you can't do all your news coverage on feelings because if you did, no. you'd probably always stop. Because I've, loved it. I've I've actually thought about it a lot. Yeah. How many times have I got out of trouble because I've had a feeling and I've gone by it, or I've had a feeling and decided to ignore it? So this one was one when I got blown up was another when I got taken hostage in, in Ukraine that was another but how many times have I also thought I don't want I've got a bad feeling but did do something about it so I, you know maybe I always have a bad feeling mm-hmm. I can't I, you know, I'll have to remember the next time so I don't think I had any some great premonition in in retrospect I probably just always am nervous about going down quiet roads
1: but are these just to talk about these instincts that you have these feelings do you think they've been honed from years of doing this, or is it just innate self-preservation?
0: No, I, I think it's years and years of experience. To be honest, I don't think there's any way around that. I think of things that I did when I was much younger, which were not being reckless, but I, I shake my head in disbelief because I just didn't know. And you know, when you've when you've seen as much death as I have, you've seen so many. Uh, to be honest. Um, children and, and refugees, it, yeah. you, you just get used to that sense of the, the impending doom that's coming, which you don't have when you're young. Yeah. And I definitely know from talking to other members of the team that join who are often a lot younger than me, that they, are, they will later say, you, you you call that and i didn't even know i was calling it at the, mm. uh, the time and i think that me and I'm, you know i'm not an exception i'm talking about all the <laughs> aging reporters like myself have been doing this from from itn and bbc from sky they, they they're all the same they all think very similarly mm. i'm sure
1: and what so what happened when you told the team that you had a bad feeling about
0: this so, so that was actually, i'm slightly going back in time actually because yeah. i you remember i mentioned the ice cream it was when we went back Having just gone onto this road. Now, the reason we turned around was a, we could see that ahead of us there was something bad happening. That was helicopters. And so we turned back and I said, I don't like this direction. That's when we went to the police. That's when they gave us the ice cream and that's when they said go down. So we went back down. And I still had a bad feeling, but mm. we had agreed this was the best way at home. Where I re- really regret is that I re- asked the right question about the best route. I failed dramatically to ask the follow-up which you always ask is when did you last do that road
1: oh gosh now yeah. he might have done it an
0: hour before and it wasn't it was safe then an hour later but he might have done it a week before yeah it, well, therefore his opinion is a, well, a day before is completely irrelevant yeah I didn't ask that but I mean you know we,
1: we mean, there's we, a, there, there is a war on. going on I,
0: mean, <laughs> I wouldn't
1: give yourself a hard time well, about well, that well there's
0: a lot of bangers there's, there's incoming all the time I mean yeah. it really was very dangerous so we head off there um, as we entered ent, there's like a, I think it 's either a, a gantry or a it it, feel, it it it's a gantry that there's a sort of like bang on the front left of the car um so um, Martin vals is one of our producers he's he's driving um richie mockler's our cameraman he's in the front uh, and he's filming um uh, we have uh, Dominique Van Heerden, my producer. She's sitting in the back, in the middle. I'm on the left, and Andre Levenko. He's on our right hand side. Um, uh, the car sort of st- would slowly come to a stop. But there's st- everyone saying, "We know was that a shot." The boys think it's not. I think it is. Anyway, within seconds, the first round, and you can hear everyone go "oh," um, and and start shouting. Andre and Martin are straight out of the car. Martin, in, in, in ambushes, the driver always dies because they have to stop the driver. So the, the, before he you thinks you, he has to get out of the car. So he was out and gone, which was the right thing to do. Um, Andre, who hadn't been working very long and is very young, just followed him, just saw that he was gone and he was gone. And I think that Richie and I, who've been in lots of uh, nasty things before knew that debussing as it's called was absolutely essential B- But that means
1: getting out of the car
0: debussing de- de- is what it's called I and mean, basically you just get out of the car yeah um
1: and sorry Stuart at this yeah. point when you heard the incoming did you realize that you were the target you didn't think oh we're stuck in the middle of a firefight
0: oh no I knew we were the target but I thought it was a mistake And I think the three of us, well, we know, we've talked about it. And actually, we started shouting when the first set of bullets stopped firing. We started shouting journalists. We were convinced it was a Ukrainian um, uh, checkpoint that had got jumpy and was just starting shooting. And that, 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 that that when we started shouting journalists, they would stop. What happened was actually the firing, not didn't just start to get intensified. We, 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 by this stage, I know we know there's a shooter in front of us and there's a shooter to the left side. Now the left side is my side. I know this because, um, well, it, it, there were bullets coming from a left and across, um, And uh, Dominique Leigh described it as being like in a a washing machine of bullets because that's what it was like. It was unbelievable. I mean, you were just seeing sparks. Your mind goes... I mean, I don't know if people have talked about it. It happened to me when you're in a car crash, everything goes super slow motion because you can see it. It was like being in a super slow-mo. It was like being in the Matrix. It was absolutely bizarre. And um, I mean, I remember it so clearly. Whether it's my imagination, but I swear to God I could see the bullet coming that hit me, but i didn't you know I, maybe i didn't but it's that's I swear to God that's how it feels to me, yeah, and we started um we were in really you know, I mean, you know we were all catatonic with with fear, as you can imagine, I heard uh, Dominique say i'm going to have to go get out, and she sort of crawls out of the car and uh, you know she said to me later you know if I know 100% I was going to die in the car but I might stand a chance outside it and she um, scuttled off trying to find where to go and actually the way out was uh, out to the to the if you if we're looking straight on to the right of the car there was a very steep uh, motorway embankment but like really steep because we're leading to a, ri- a bridge over a river so um, it's sort of 40 you know 40 feet down but very very steep um, and
1: and, and in, so she'd left the car and you're still in it.
0: So yeah, so uh, so and- she's gone and and, and, and and scuttled away. Now I'm so Richie is in front and he's made himself into a tiny he's a big guy, but he's tiny he made himself very tiny. So he's effectively in the in the in the well of the car of the car, um on the passenger side effectively hidden by the engine block, which has given a lot of protection, but not protection from what's coming in. I'm lying on the back just watching the whole car slowly but surely disintegrate. And that's when I I actually said to myself, and I remember it, I am going to die now, um, and I wonder if it's going to hurt. And... um, Um... Anyway, it, it then got hit. I then got hit. And um, I remember thinking, well, it didn't hurt that bad. Mm. And weirdly, I then sort of sat up, put my helmet on. I hadn't had my helmet on when we were driving because it was quite difficult in the car. And it's this tiny little car. Mm. Um, and put my helmet on and then reached back and thought, oh, just about to get out of the car. There's a lot of firing going on. But I thought, no, I haven't got my phones. So I went back and re- reached back to my phones. Mm. And I don't know what made me think that. It became incredibly important later because that was our only communication because nobody else had their phones with them anymore, and you know we we you know there was stuff everywhere. Mm. So um, I I got my phone and I remember getting out of the car. Fairly relaxed, and you can hear Richie on the uh, on the rushes saying, "What are you doing?" Because I stood up and sort of slightly walked over to the embankment edge, took two steps down, realised I was falling, and dived. And I dived, The, the, the um, when I I then landed at the bottom on my head, and probably not, my almost certainly knocked myself out. But I was talking to Martin and Dominique afterwards, and they were saying it was genuinely, actually. Barely shakingly funny when I fell down. I mean, they were, they were, there were bullets going everywhere. They were really scared, but they were actually laughing because it was just so comedic. Um, and now rich was then still in the car. Now mm. it's difficult to know how. I didn't. I don't know how long it took, but it's second, I mean, it's thirty seconds, not even. Mm. But I know that the guys shouting for him to come, he went silent on them, and they thought he was dead. But he knew. You know, Richie doesn't mind me saying he was a former soldier. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was waiting for them to reload. He had, so when it went quiet, he went for it because they had reloaded, and he comes over. and I know, I know, I don't remember this from seeing it, but it's all on the rushes because incredibly rich. He filmed everything. Um, he is just, I mean, as bullets. All around him, a hail of bullets as he came over the side, and he didn't fall down the bank. He's a, a young, fit man. He was able to stay upright, and he got himself down. And that's when he t- he turns to me and says, "Stuart, I'm still rolling." I'm sure we, we've edited it there because I couldn't believe it. But uh, uh, and then we start making our escape. But I think, you know what was incredible about it, and it is you know we, it is miraculous. You, we, we, whether one can use the word miracle or not is another is another discussion. But basically, you have five people sitting at the equivalent of a sort of breakfast table in a kitchen <laughs> that's how small a car is yeah and for three minutes and 20 seconds it was fired at constantly and I'm the only one who got hit richie actually got hit twice or three times in his but in his armor mm. mine was just beneath the armor because of the angle I was lying at that's that's really why
1: did you know you'd been hit oh yeah
0: yeah yeah no that's, uh, from the moment
1: uh, you got hit
0: when I got hit I knew I was hit it was just I was surprised it didn't hurt as much as I thought it was going to um and in fact funny enough it 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 was um it it was described to me i I, somebody asked me what it was like yeah and i said i don't know i can't describe it and another guy said does it feel like and obviously he would had that description given to him for like you've been hit with a hammer with sparklers on it i said that is it and so we think the sparkling sensation is the is the Skin, flesh burning, um, and the hammer is obviously going through. Now where I was very lucky was that it went straight through me, so there's an exit and an, uh, an entry and an exit point, and didn't hit any organs in between. I think it considerably hurts more if you hit your, hits anything. Yeah. Um, bones, etc. It's going to be agony. but actually it just went straight through straight through me. I mean it came out just uh, sort of went into the left-hand side of my bottom most best description, but out near my kidney, so I was blinking lucky.
1: And did you not panic? Did you not think, I might lose blood, I might only have a certain amount of time before I bleed out, I need to get to a hospital? I imagine I would panic.
0: Yeah, I didn't panic. In fact, what we're all pleased about in the rushes is how little panic there was, given that everyone's at a very high level of panic, clearly. But we're still operating at quite a good level. And I think, you know, we do do quite a lot of training on this stuff. And virtually everyone there has been in some really nasty situations. Um, not so much, um, well, certainly Dominique, not as much as me and Richie and Martin but she's been in loads so you know it's uh, it was it was a case of uh, regrouping getting to safety i knew i was hit i knew i was bleeding but there was not we knew that all our medical stuff was still in the car um, and that's another mistake of ours i mean for a variety of reasons mainly to do with fitting our our, our medical stuff which is usually attached to us was actually unattached
1: right
0: which is a mistake
1: Of course, I've I've seen the footage and and you're right. I mean, you were all remarkably calm. I mean, I was in far more of a state watching this footage than you guys appear in the rushes, um, in in the clip that I saw. Um, What happened next? What did you do?
0: So... um we had to get away from the car, and they had to get away from the embankment. We were still very much in the line of sight from mm. from from where the the ambush was coming from, and um, we were very worried of a follow up, which is standard procedure. If it's a, if it's a if it's a professional ambush, there's a follow up. That's just how it works. That's that's the theory. Um, there would almost certainly be a major follow up in this instance because in an ambush with five people in a car. The, the expectation of one person getting out is unlikely, but acceptable to the attackers. Five getting out is just, this is a mess. Where, how did we, well, I mean, I don't know how, how we got out, but anyway, as if they're soldiers, which we're pretty certain, they are Russian soldiers, and I will explain that in a bit, but they, um, we expected a follow-up. So we went along the, at the side of the motorway, uh, and I think I went slightly ahead and could see um, uh, um, um uh, like a warehouse unit but with a gate that was open i just assumed it was going to be shut but also it was a gate with um uh, like a you know one of those a bar that goes up and down mm. to the point that it looked like somebody was going in and out still it wasn't like you would expect it to be just closed up so we ran inside there just to get off the street really and um we probably made quite a lot of noise as we were chatting because we realised there wasn't much weren't many options to get away and a door opened and these three gold guys came out um, who were the caretakers and sort of called us over and basically said we could stay with them. So we went in um, and then probably, it's difficult to know how quickly afterwards, but a lot of firing started. Mm. And we realised quite quickly that it wasn't, we thought initially it's coming; they're coming for us, and they're just shooting ahead. But it wasn't; they were engaged. It was an engagement between two sides. What much, much later, what we think happened is that they did try to come to, to, to do the follow up, but that a Ukrainian, uh, some type of Ukrainian defense team, be it. We don't think it was police because we, we spent a lot of time with the police later. But a sort of a travelling group of militia may have come to see what was going on, saw the fight and they just, it, 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 they engaged. Because that lasted, if we were in there for about four or five hours and about half the time there was shooting going on.
1: Oh, God, I mean, that's terrifying.
0: Oh, it was terrifying. I, I, I feel bad about it because Dominique was very upset and, and I sort of went over. She's hiding in the in a well, you know, that like you see in garages where they're working under the bottom of a car or yeah. a lorry. And she said, so we will be okay now, right? And I said, no. I said, <laughs> like often with these things, you've survived the initial horrible thing, but actually what happens next is even worse. Yeah. And I said, you know, if they come in, this is going to be bad. So we started looking for other ways out. Walking around in the countryside in the middle of a wall with, with body armour on, being looked at by somebody at a checkpoint further down the road is, is you are going to die. You can't afford not to have your armour on because... Anything could be dropped from the skies. So basically, movement was pretty irrelevant, pretty impossible. We've thought about going across fields, but we'd been, for the last couple of days, we'd been driving around fields that had been heavily mined. Everywhere we went, there were mines. So, you know, I don't think going across a a farm, uh, to a farmhouse, was much of an option. And so by this stage, we're ringing through, um, or Dominique and Martin between them, mainly Dominique actually, are ringing through to um, our producer who's actually our main sort of super producer who's in Lviv, who knows everyone. Mm. And he was ringing the government, the police, the secret service, the foreign affairs office explaining what was going on. So there was a big effort to try and get us out. Um, and um, we then had a phone call after a little while where they're saying, listen, we will come and get you, but we can't come and get you tonight because it's already too late and it's too dark and it's too dangerous and we'll come and get you in the morning just sort of stay tight oh god now, i was getting i was not really in a great state by this stage no. we hadn't had any water i was bleeding quite a lot but not terribly um i mean i hadn't hit any any main main things or anything it was just that it's you know i've got, I've got two holes in me so you yeah. i was bleeding um and Obviously, we we're all still suffering shock, and it's freezing cold. Remember, I mean that's the other thing which you you know we it's very easy to forget. Then we were in still in winter, so it's um it was it was bitter, and we're in this big drafty metal um unit. So we go to like like if you like the upstairs bit, which is is like uh, presumably the administration room, the office for the thing, um the, with a door. And we just say, okay. We just pulled in chairs from all over and said, if we all get in this room, at least we'll be warm enough. There was a couch there. I think there was. There was for some reason there was a couch. So we sort of sat on that, and I actually began to drop off quite quickly. I was I was really ex- exhausted by this point, and that's when. Um, Uh, Richie says his heart absolutely dropped because we suddenly heard this huge kerfuffle outside and then um, big boots running along and you could hear machine guns banging on bits of metal as people coming in, lots of shouting. Um, And... I have a slight advantage. I mean, I was based in, in Moscow for a number of years. So I, my Russian is poor, but I can actually understand when people are talking um, and if, in simple sentences. So I knew f- straight away it was Ukrainian as opposed to, to Russian. Mm. The, the Richie didn't and just thought, this is it. And they came clambering up the stairs and then we heard um, it's uh, Ukrainian police come quickly. And uh, they um, bundled into this car and uh, and left at very high speed going to a, a, a police station Um so that was, that was sort of how we got out.
1: <laughs> and what, what was going through your mind when you realized that it was Ukrainians and you're about to walk out of that situation?
0: Um, I was, well, overjoyed, but still very concerned. You know, we, 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 we're still a long way from, from safety. Um we go into a police station that is, by definition, at this stage, a target. We th- we, we Because the last we knew was that the Russians were coming. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, we're just being taken from one bad place to a place that's perhaps even worse outcomes from a police station. It's like, how are we going to get out of here? Um, uh, you can hear the bang, you know, the the, the police are jumpy. Um, there's explosions going off everywhere. And, um, and you know, it, it, we were very, very exhausted now um and the, the the great thing is they gave us cups of tea and i was just i must have drunk about 15 cups of tea i was i was just really really dehydrated and in quite a lot of um a lot of shock actually and so they took me i was hilarious. they took me to um to a what they described as their medical centre, which actually wasn't a medical centre, <laughs> it was a room with a couple of sort of nurses in it. I think, um, and the whole room was full of the policemen who were who were really hyped up. I mean, I think it was because they, they they hadn't been involved in the war at all. I mean, now they will have been, but then they weren't, and they were like really chuffed they saved someone. I mean, later on they put us on their Facebook and all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, so they were all in the room, and uh, this uh, the two nurses, and I, 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 well, it was two, two women <laughs> who were nurses, and and a, and a man who was either a nurse or a doctor, but none of them identified themselves as anything. Anyway, they pulled my trousers down, and the collective <gasps> from like eleven people in the room it's like, "Oh, thanks a lot." This is, have you ever thought about <laughs> a patient's feelings? You know, and uh, of course, I hadn't seen um, an exit and entry, and the entry is the exit is horrible. I mean, it's big, you know the the, the the flare. I mean, I'm going too much detail. The flesh flares out, so it's wow. it, it looks very nasty. And, and this I think, is on your bum. It, well, no, it's It's on my back. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, like a well, it's just here. So just above, um, just right. next to your kidneys. So right. So that was, um, I think they they were all horrified. You, you know, they're going to see an awful lot more. So they just piled, poured iodine on it, and that was that. And um, they this it's going to hurt. I said, It's not really because it now it is really hurting you yeah, because right. it's exposed, and also it's at the level where my armor is sitting on it, so it's like just constantly. Oh god, rubbing yeah. it. Anyway, so they they after that hilarity, we then took us and uh, we said to the to the to the policeman, "We know you can't do much for us, but we can't stay here. Is there a house we can go to?" And their boss rang and said, bring them to mine, and, and we went and stayed with the police chief, who was a really nice guy. And he then t- began to explain to us why he knew where the Ru- it was a Russian forward operating team, because they'd identified them in the days prior. Um, and the bridge had been blown for that very reason, to stop them coming back and forth. And... That's when we first began to get the indicators that actually this wasn't a mistake. This this really was Russians. The next morning, the local police went off to try and get our car, or not get the car because the car was destroyed pretty much, but to get passports and phones and things and kit. And they came under quite intense fire. Day later, we know this from a friend of ours who works for another news organisation, a foreign news organisation. They they were interviewed a family that they had stopped um, the husband and baby survived, the wife and child were killed by in the same point as our car. They pulled up behind our car. Um, they don't know why the father was allowed to leave, but I think it because he just had a baby. Um, and then later on, on the E40, uh, there's been a number of reports since of mm. people. There was a quite well-known picture of a guy getting out of a car next to a tank and he gets shot. Well, that's about a kilometre and a half up the road from us. So that was that's why we think it was... The very early stages of mm. the the Russians moving in to make their sort of forward operating area for the attack mm. on 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 the west of the city,
1: so you just got extraordinarily lucky,
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, how do you explain that?
0: Uh, you I, I don't know. I mean we we've joked that somebody in the car all, all most of us say it's probably Dominique I was I there's an angel looking over them <laughs> because. <sighs> I just do not know mm. how
1: mm.
0: we got out of there. It, it makes no sense. Mm. Um,
1: Are you religious?
0: Well, I am now. <laughs> no, I am fairly religious, but not, um, you know, I'm not going to church every day. But yeah. um, did, did I pray then? Yeah. I mean, everyone did. Mm. Um, but it's it is it 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 is impossible to explain how that got out. I just don't know, and mm. I, it, we've, we it, it's the one thing we think about all the time mm. and not in bad ways. I mean, I'm quite upset now. I don't know why I haven't been I've been talked about this so often. I haven't been upset. I think it's just because I'm perhaps I haven't been talking about it much of late. but um,
1: does it does it help talking about it? Oh, I, mean, I think it. so, yeah,
0: I don't think it it doesn't hurt. One of the things I know um one of the guys um ha- saw us, well, we just always. Could, describe it as the shrink but um uh, but uh, he was saying that one of the problems for people dealing with major incidents is that they 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 lose touch with it because they, they can only remember what they can remember yeah and nobody who they may love them and knows what they went through yeah and what he was saying was well, so unique and what's great about this is it's all filmed so your family can see what happened. Yeah, It's not like you're going to be talking about it in terms of you just can't understand. Mm. Well, actually, they can understand mm. and they can see. And actually for us, you know, how much of it we remember mm. or don't remember mm. is irrelevant because it's all on film. Yeah, um, And so you can... Uh, can you still watch it? Um, do you know, the watching isn't so bad. It's because the visual references and the mm. writing, which, you know, we... we I mean, I, I remember sitting down to write it and... Uh, yeah, I mean, Richard and I just could hardly speak mm-hmm. um, when we we actually took a few days. It took us a long time to get out of, of Kiev, to get to Kiev, and then to get out uh, to Lviv. So we sat down to to edit, and um, we started to say, right, this is going to be a really complicated edit. Mm. And. Um, uh, it was like the easiest edit we've ever done. Because <laughs> First off, the first three minutes, we didn't cut or anything. We just left it. And all I just had to say, I'm just going to say this here and there. So just to give context. And actually, want I said to say, really, one of the things that we, why we wanted this story to come out, and there was a lot of discussion at Sky as to whether it even should run, was that we knew this was happening to ordinary people, but they never have a film of it, they never have armour they're not trained yeah. but it is happening every single day and it's like I, I, that's what our story was about, it was not about us, yes of course we the centre but it wasn't about us, it's like this is what's happening Yeah. and the attack itself wasn't exceptional, it was the filming that was exceptional and that's that's really the point we tried to get across. But going back to your thing, what was it like? Yes. Yeah, so the re- visual references are, are, are okay The hearing the sound mm. I was waiting to do um, a podcast at Sky actually where we were The first first interview we did, and they played the sound, and I looked at Richie and I looked at Dominique. We were all three together, and everyone was in tears. It's like the first time, and it wasn't even a bad bit. It wasn't. It wasn't a the screaming bit. Mm. It was when we were actually out and talking. Mm. So, yeah, that's uh, it's it's quite difficult to hear it, but actually seeing it isn't so bad because the references are clear to you. Yeah,
1: I mean, Stuart, talking to you now, and I, I want, I, I want to. Tread sensitively with you because it's still so raw,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I can see that it's affected you so much. So, tell me if you want us to move on.
0: No, no, no. Carry on.
1: But I want to know how are you dealing with it, because I, I can I can see the pain of it as you talk about it now. How are you going to deal with this? It's still there.
0: Yeah, it's it's still there. Um, most of the time, it, it's pretty good. I mean, we're actually working on our, our plans for our return. I mean, it's like really? we're already at that. Yeah, I mean, as soon as uh, Dominic... we are ready
1: to go back.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be. It'll. I've no doubt it'll be difficult. I'm not sure that we will go direct to the front, but we. You know, war, The front can come to you pretty quick. Um, but we will. We. We are already putting our plans in place and talking to who we're going, where we're going, and all that type of stuff. And there's another team going in now, so I'll be on the next rotation. I would think.
1: I mean, uh, colleagues of ours have stopped doing the job for for less.
0: Yeah.
1: Have, at any point, have you asked yourself if it's worth it?
0: You know. What? Without getting all high for looting, um, you know, all, all of us, and I've lost loads and loads of friends, all of us do it for a reason. And the yeah. reason is to bear witness. And, you know, it, 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 it's just, it, well, <laughs> I think um, uh, uh, Sam, I was talking to Sam. Um, oh, our friend uh, Sam Sam, Sam was telling and I noticed he, there was a piece in I think it was in uh, there was a magazine article he was quoted in he said we're sort of quite British about this we're sort of it's our job so we just get on and do it we don't spend our lives being scared about it and to it i know that's right you know it is actually what i do for a living but i do it is a, it is a, it is something that i do because i actually believe very strongly in it um and all of the team that will come back um will probably not all it won't the same team won't go together i think that would be crazy we spend the whole time talking about it for a start we never get any work done um but dominique and i always work together so we will definitely go back mm. um and our belief is that we need to go we, you know, we have a lot of friends in ukraine now um, as I said both me and Dominic have been working on it since 2014 so it's not, not you know her. she was in a different company then so we have a lot of relations there so I do you know relationships there that I want to go back and, and see you don't have to necessarily go and do the front line and the fighting because the real story that's actually much more important it are refugees and people and that's really what we would look to go and do mm. um, but you know what, how do I deal with this well you know you try to I mean there is you know we have psychological help that's yeah. That's anything you want. Um, in this particular instance, I haven't spoken to 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 Leslie, who who is the lady we use at Sky, but uh, I know some of the others have. And how, come, how
1: come you haven't? I find that quite surprising.
0: I think I'm going to, but I haven't needed to. Yeah. Um, I've I've I remember a long time ago when I uh, there was uh, there was some concerns over you know whether I actually had PTSD, whether I had a breakdown. I actually had a breakdown over overworking. I didn't have a breakdown over PTSD, and uh, the the psychologist had actually sort of had gone through this, and I said, "You don't have it. We can just tell that your responses are not what you are. Is upset by the way you're being treated at work, and you're upset by overworking and all the mm. rest of it. You're exhausted. Mm. And actually, I felt much better after having, having had a rest. Well, in this instance, I um, I feel very much the same. I, um, I I've uh, the, the 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 shock or otherwise of the event is something that um, I can." I can. I have to deal with, and obviously sometimes it get you get upset talking about it. But actually, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. How, am I be? Am I acting in a strange way or behaving? Am I mean, you know, am I drinking too much? Am I doing? I actually, no, nothing, nothing abnormal at all. <laughs> now there could be an argument about whether I drink too much. or that's another discussion. <laughs> um, but um, so I think I'm feeling quite, quite good.
1: Do you think, Stuart? There might be a bit of this, and I've seen this with some of our other colleagues. I. Uh, Anthony Lloyd, Sam, Kylie as well, both went through terrible incidents and then went back to war. Mm -hmm. So do you think there's a bit of this that maybe you have to prove something to yourself or you have to face down that
0: demon? I think there's an element of getting back on the horse. Yeah. I mean, I remember when Anthony got shot, and I remember saying to him, Anthony, right, mate, you've done enough now. You just don't need to do it anymore. I've had that same conversation with loads of people that I respect saying, okay, now's enough. And Anthony sort of didn't really say very much and went back. And I'm not saying much either. And I think it's probably exactly the same. Because, you know, his it did has Anthony's reporting got better as a result of what happened? I would argue potentially, yeah. For what's happened to him isn't the same as what's happened to lots of people in Syria, Mm. but it gives him a good insight. What's happened to me isn't what's happened to loads of people in Ukraine, but it gives me a good insight. And, you know, it's probably worth thinking this is perhaps something that you should use rather than run away from. Mm.
1: It's Ramita Navai here, and thank you for listening to my show. I hope you agree that these stories are not only powerful, but important. As I speak to some incredible journalists from around the world about what they've learned from working in dangerous places and how it's changed their perspective, it would be great to get your help in sharing their personal stories. So please do spread the word and subscribe, rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts from. I hope you continue to be inspired by the series and I look forward to you joining me for more episodes. How has this incident changed you?
0: Um I think um I try to I don't get angry about silly things anymore. I, I really don't. Um there was a guy behind me in the car screaming because I, was, I didn't move out in the, on the, into a roundabout as quick as he wanted. And I just thought, I, yeah, I, I, I'd never been a road rager, but I can see he's wound up about this, really. And perhaps I was slow going out because it was like, I'm not going to rush today. Uh, so I, I try not to. And I, and, um, I try to stay, we, I stay in touch with my kids constantly now and, and my wife, which we, you know, I was, I was a travelling dad. I mean, I always have been. But now we speak a lot and um and I think they they like that as well, you know we we talk most days, whereas before we probably didn't, and that's I think that's a direct result of this,
1: yeah, to on a more personal note did it did this teach you anything about
0: yourself i I suppose nothing nothing it 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 tested me, and I felt that I passed the test um Mentally, I didn't fall apart while I was there. I was quite pleased at that. Um, Did you
1: react how you expected you would?
0: One of the things that's been growing in recent years on me is that I've been getting very nervous before big events, big fighting type events or big events that could turn violent. Yeah. And I didn't ever used to be. Now. I'm not scared of flying, but I don't particularly enjoy it anymore. I'm not... I'm, I'm, I, I didn't like heights. Now I am actually cannot go up high, thanks. So it's one of those growing things with age. And I have become... I have the same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been coming, and I remember saying... Dominique was very annoyed with me one morning when she was saying, listen, I keep asking where we're going to go with this war, and you, but you're not giving any answers. And I said, listen... My decision-making is, is failing because I actually am very scared about going out. So, but I'm not scared of going. I just don't want to be there making the decision. So you, let's talk about it, but lead it in the direction. And I think um, that has been something that's been concerning me. But I knew that we wanted to go out that day and I didn't have any problems. But when I, what I found is that when I'm in it, and what i was pleased about is i know uh, i'm i'm actually just go straight into completely really quite professional and not scared i'm not scared at all once i'm in it um and that is something that i really have learned so okay yeah i know i've been worried about being worried but actually when push comes to shove it just gets back to being okay it's just the job and, and um you know survival instincts are pretty good they do actually help you <laughs> adrenaline Hi. helps a lot as well
1: yeah <laughs> Has there been an incident in your career that you think has changed you or has changed your perspective on life?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's been... You know is it a specific incident I don't know if it's a specific instance but long over long periods of time where you you've been exposed to you know a particular tragedy or a, or a a particularly dangerous series of events I think they have they they shape your life in as much as that you 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 learn to deal with these things you learn to 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 have coping mechanisms for 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 what you're seeing in front of you. Um, what what I I cry often when I'm writing my scripts, and I think that that's not bad. I think that's good because a lot of people write those pieces and that they actually they just don't seem like they care. It seems to me that if you if you if you've gone all that way to care uh, about someone, you might as well express that you care. You know, hasn't a particular event affected me? No, but has the effect of those 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 events happening made my storytelling better, then definitely that, that, that uh, it is life-changing because mm. I would never have reached that without having undone all these various often quite difficult um, jobs over the years.
1: Sitting across the table from someone like you is such a treat because of your life experience. What has reporting on conflict taught you about the way the world works?
0: The the war has taught Mm. me quite a lot about it and it's made me very, very angry. Um, And a growing anger based on things that I'm sure every one of us as a journalist has been angry about this fake news and the fact that everyone can just lie all the time. Mm. Um, And that's, by the way, you know, is every government, um, British, American, Russia, just a bunch of no worse than or no better than anyone else. And... What Some some things that have been bad about reporting whereby people have seemed to find a difference because the Ukrainian people look quite like us yeah. really annoys me too. Um, I don't see any difference between uh, a Sudanese refugee to a uh, Ukrainian refugee. Yeah. And I've – I've wanted my reporting to really reflect that. It's irrelevant. It's completely ridic- ridiculous. What is interesting is just geographically, it's very near to us, which actually scares the hell out of people, but uh, it makes no difference as a war. I think the way the world works is you is, is inter- has to be one has to be cynical of a lot of things that happen because they act in such a cynical way. Mm. Um, there's very few wars that I've covered, very few of them are really genuinely honourable or without some polit- political edge to it or angle or some type of strategic advantage that's being played. Very rarely do you say, we're going to war because this is right against wrong. And, that I, 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 and I have never seen uh, an exception to that um, in my entire life. One could probably argue World War II was different. But I don't think anything else is since. There's a political reason for it. In this case, Putin is is clearly looking for his own territorial gains and whatever else he wants. Um, And you know, the cynicism, particularly, of, you know, even amongst the NATO members about whether they should or shouldn't buy oil and gas and, and sort of say they shouldn't but continue to do so, these are all always the issues. So that's one of the things that I think I take away from this is that there's, a, there's always an angle. They're never really doing it uh, out of some great higher calling.
1: Mm. Stuart, I end the programme asking every guest the same question. And that's if there was one bit of wisdom that you've learned from covering dangerous situations and seeing the worst of humanity and doing the job that you do. If there's one bit of wisdom you could impart to our listeners. What would it be?
0: Just yes, you've got to always report the truth. And if if you can if you do nothing more than that, then the truth as you see it from us, then you've you've done the best you can if you're a reporter.
1: And one bit of wisdom on living life and how you live your life now having witnessed everything you've witnessed compared to before
0: i think it if you it, it, if nothing else you have to show compassion to people because we are really fortunate as a rule and you know most people the world needs compassion all the time um, because most people are defenseless actually and there's nothing they can do and it's imposed upon them and that's, and and we've lost that a bit in certainly in Britain and we've seen it where we don't like people coming into our country etc cetera, etc cetera. it's wrong and we need to show more compassion I think that's my big take on it
1: Well Stuart compassion is a beautiful note to end this conversation on thank you so much and it's been a real honour that you've really opened up with us today thank you. Thank you. thanks Stuart thank you you can watch the terrifying moments Stuart and his team were ambushed and attacked in Ukraine by following the link in the show notes. And you can catch his award-winning reporting from around the world on Sky News. I also recommend watching his latest series, Hotspots, where he meets people living on the front line of the climate crisis. It's on Sky On Demand. To follow Stuart on Twitter, his handle is at RamseySky. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Line of Fire. If you'd like to follow me, my Twitter handle is at Ramita Navai. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And tell your friends they can find us wherever they get their podcasts. Until next time. The Line of Fire is a podcast from Aura Studios. It was presented by me, Ramita Navai, and edited and produced by Chris Scott. Our executive producers are Matt Raz and Richard Osman.